Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Happy Sunday to you. Welcome once again to the Edge Church. My name is Stephen Van Denen, one of the pastors here, and really excited to have you joining with us today as we start a brand new sermon series that we're probably going to be in together for about the next four months or so that we're calling Active Discipleship. Now, one of the big things on the hearts of our pastoral team, something that that, that we just feel really passionate about and responsible to God for is, is helping the church lean into the mission and calling that God has for us as his church and his purpose for us as his people. So, so, so God's mission, God's calling, God's purpose, that's what we're after. Now, if you don't know, our mission statement as the church, as the Ed Church says that we, the Ed Church, exist to make disciples who live for Jesus, love one another, and tell the world. And this is our mission statement. It's it's not really anything particularly creative or or unique. We didn't like get some special revelation that no other church has received. This is our, our mission statement because we, re- we really just believe this is Jesus' mission for his church. After Jesus' death and resurrection in victory over sin and death, uh, uh, Jesus' final words to his disciples and all who would follow him before he ascends back to the Father are these words that we read in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Probably a lot of you are familiar with these. And Jesus says, listen, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. This is what many of us know as the Great Commission, the mission that God has given to his church to be disciples, followers of Jesus who make disciples. And so so really that's what we're after. That's our, our, our mission. And so for us, we look at this and say, well, then in order for us to fulfill our mission as disciples of Jesus, then, then we really need to actually know what a disciple is. We need to know what that looks like in our lives. And so that's why we decided that we we're going to focus in on this idea called active discipleship, because following Jesus is not some pa- passive, accidental thing that we do, but it's this intentional and purposeful walk with him and life in him. And so uh, to help us understand then uh, what it means for us to live as disciples of Jesus, as followers of him as a, as a church, we, we, we just kind of broke down then what is a disciple? And we broke that down into four elements, four essential elements, four pillars, uh, you might call them, of a disciple. And they're these four things, worship, identity, relationships, and ministry. Those four, worship, identity, relationships, and ministry. And so over the four next four months or so, we're going to be unpacking these things. And we're just um, going to take a little time to go into more detail with, with really a goal of applying each one of these more fully so that we might follow Jesus more closely as his disciples. And so so today we're just going to start off by by digging into this thing called worship. And to start, I want to pray for us. I just want to ask the Lord to speak. I want to encourage you to pray for you to invite the Lord to speak to you today. And let's see what God has for us. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this moment. Father, thanks for this time that you've given us. Holy Spirit, we just welcome you. Holy Spirit, we just invite you, Lord, to come and to speak and to minister, God, in each and every heart, from the youngest person in the room to the oldest, God. Lord, that you would just speak truth in every heart. Wherever you are right now, I just invite you to just ask the Lord, just just ask the Lord, would you come and speak to me? 
God, give me ears to hear you today. God, help my heart to be open to you, to receive from you today. God, thanks that you're present right now. Thank you that, Lord, that you have a word for each and every one of us. And God, I pray that we will receive it, Lord. God, just commit this time to you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Well, if I were to ask you this morning, what is worship? What would you say? My guess is that if I were to ask you that question in a room, I'd probably get a handful of different answers, but most commonly what people tend to say is that worship is an event or, or a service that happens oftentimes in church where, uh, where, where usually there's some kind of music happening, there's some kind of singing taking place, right? And, and for the really like, uh, you know, expressive, charismatic folks, there might be some clapping or dancing or, 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 or raising of hands, all that stuff. And, and it's true that all of those things can be expressions of worship, but they themselves are not worship. Right? Worship is, is really something a whole lot bigger than that. In fact, worship in reality involves all of life, every part of it, your heart and mind and soul and strength, responding to God for who he truly is, displaying his worth. Actually, the word worship and uh, more accurately translates as this, as this word worth-ship. It means to be in a position or state of worth. So, so worship is an affirming, actually, of God's infinite worth. It's not boosting God's self-esteem. It's not flattery. It's not appeasing God or trying to like get God to respond or, or, or to get God to love us because he already does. It is simply a recognition and display of what is most true about God, that he is infinitely worthy above all things. I love how Romans 11.36 kind of sums this up for us. It says this about Jesus. It says, for from him and through him and for him are all things. It says, to him be the glory forever. Amen. This is a great summation of worship, right? It is a life lived in response to this truth, reflecting and displaying this truth that everything, and I mean everything, is from him, from the Lord, right? Every good and perfect gift comes from him, the Bible says. He's the creator of all things, the Bible says, that everything is from him and through him and for him, right? And so to him, the the one who all things are from, for, and through, to him be the glory. That, that, that word glory actually means weightiness. It means heaviness. It means prominence and preeminence. This is uh, the Apostle Paul saying, let us see him and behold him as he really is glorious and worthy of our all forever. This is why we hear Psalm 96, 8 tell us that to ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due his name. And what is it that his name reveals to us? What, what does his name say to us? Listen to what Philippians 2, 9 through 11 says. It says, God has highly exalted him, talking about Jesus, to the highest place and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He, he says first, listen, Jesus is exalted to the highest place. There is no one higher than him. He is the most worthy. Listen, Jesus being highly exalted in your life and through your life, that's worship. 
And, and notice here the posture, right? The, the posture that we are all to have in response to this Jesus who is high and exalted, right? Paul says that every knee should bow. That, that, that's a life submitted to Jesus. That's worship. In fact, the Old Testament word for worship literally means to bow down before. In the New Testament, the word for worship means to kiss towards, which is like how the subject of a king would, would, would on his knees kiss the hand of the king or kiss the, the, the ring of the king in recognition of their position. And of course, this is true because as the Apostle Paul says to us right here, listen, Jesus is Lord. The word for Lord in the Old Testament Hebrew is this word Adonai, and it literally means master or owner. In the New Testament, the, the, the word in the Greek is this word kurios, and it means supreme authority or absolute ruler. Jesus is the Lord, meaning that he is the one and only king with supreme authority, high and exalted over and over again. The scriptures just declares worthy of it all, worthy above everyone and everything else. Listen, let me just rattle off some scripture for you, okay? Some declarations in the scriptures that, that make this proclamation. Listen to this. Deuteronomy ten seventeen. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome. Psalm 93, 1. The Lord is king. He he is robed in majesty. Indeed, the Lord is robed in majesty and armed with strength. Psalm 47, 2, for the Lord most high is awesome. He is the great king of all the earth. Psalm 89, 7, the highest angelic powers stand in awe of God. He is far more awesome than all who surround his throne. Or how about Jude 1 verse 25 says, all glory, majesty, power, and authority are his before all time and in the present and beyond all time. Amen. Or maybe Psalm 145, 3 that just says, great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. And no one, it says, can measure his greatness. He says, the, the Lord is so great that you cannot even begin to measure him. However great you think that he is, or however great you could imagine him to be, doesn't even begin to grab hold of him. He's greater even still. Now in the Bible, there are a handful of stories of uh, where God gives somebody a glimpse into heaven so that we can get a glimpse of heaven too. And in the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah gets this picture, he gets invited to, to this look into the throne room of heaven. And here's what he says. Listen to this, Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 5. He says, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. He says, above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. It says, at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. It's like, it, it's, it's almost impossible to even comprehend what Isaiah is looking at, what, what he is seeing as he's getting this glimpse into the throne room of heaven. But, but what he tells us is like, there is the Lord, and he's seated, seated on a throne, and around him are like these angelic beings with six wings, and they're, they're flying, and, and they're singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. They're just saying, speaking back and forth to one uh, another, and, 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 and like, God is so holy, so glorious, that they have to like cover their faces with their wings. Just, one glimpse of the Lord 
on his throne. And Isaiah's like, I'm ruined. He's like, it's, this is like too much. He's like, you are the king, Lord, right? High and exalted. And what he realizes there is, I am not, right? We just finished not too long ago our Christmas season where, you know, we celebrate Jesus coming as a baby. And I think sometimes we, we, we sort of take a look at G, like baby Jesus. And we're like, ah, oh, Jesus, cute baby Jesus. And, and we miss the fact that Jesus is the king of kings and Lord of lords, that he is seated on a throne high and exalted. It, when you see Jesus rightly, you can't do anything else but worship him. In the New Testament, we read about the apostle John who, who gets a glimpse of heaven. And listen to what he says to us in Revelation 5, 11 through 14. He says, Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. That's a lot of angels. It says, And they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice. They were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. It says, Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and under the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And says, The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Again, I I don't even know how to wrap my mind around this picture of heaven. What an absolutely incredible sight, right? They they should make this into a movie if they could even figure out what it would look like, right? But, but, But here again, we see the posture of everyone in heaven, of the hosts of heaven, they're all just declaring that God is worthy, that he is exalted, and their response to his worth, to his glory, is to bow in worship. Now, now I want you to think about this contrast here too in Revelation, here at the end of the scriptures. Because in the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 3, we see that, that mankind decides that he wants to sit in God's place. Here we, we, we see that mankind wants to be his own king. That mankind, we're like, look, I'm going to be king. I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to do it my own way, right? And, and so in this man, mankind, we rebel against God. We, we essentially say to God, like, God, we are worthy. But here at the end of scripture, in the book of Revelation, in the throne room of heaven, all of the hosts of heaven, it says, everything in heaven and on, on the earth and under the earth, all of it says, no, God, you are worthy. God is in his right place on his throne, and we're not there. We're not on the throne, because that's where he alone belongs. See, worship is the response of a people who recognize that God is the only rightful king. Not us, not somebody else, not anything else, just him, worthy of all, sitting on his throne, and it's us submitting ourselves to his lordship. I love how the Apostle Paul describes God in 1 Timothy 6, 15 and 16, where he says, he says, God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. Paul says, listen, understand that there is only one ruler. There is only one king who is in charge, and it's not you, and it's not me. Right, And it doesn't matter how successful you are or how powerful you think you are. There is only one king, the Lord, and he is in control. Like, I I just took a breath because he let me. 
I just took another breath because he let me, right? Like, like, like he determines our days. Life and death are in his hands. It's all up to him. Everything, like Paul says, is from him and through him and for him. He alone is the Lord, which is to say that he is the master, the owner, the absolute ruler who has supreme authority over all that is in his kingdom, all that belongs to him as king, right? Uh, see, see, a king is different from any other leader. Because the king is the center of his kingdom. A, a, a king is not like a president, like we have in the States. A president isn't the center because, because the, presi- the president is a representative of the people. And, and for a president to really get things done, they need to have the approval of other people and other branches of government. But a king is completely different because the king is the center. He's the beginning and the end of his kingdom, and he doesn't need anyone else's approval. He doesn't need anyone's permission. When the king wants to do something, he does it. And when the king makes a decision, it is done. It's the law. His word is final. And the king has complete and absolute authority over all that belongs to him. You might say then, well, what belongs to him, right? Well, listen to Psalm 24, verse 1. It says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. So, so the question is like, well, what belongs to the Lord? Everything. Everything belongs to him. And, and he tells us why in verse two, because he says, for he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. The reason that the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it too is because he founded it, he created it, right? He made all of it, including us. All of it rightfully belongs to him. I, I love how God himself even speaks about this in Isaiah 40, 25, 26. He says, listen, to whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One. He says, lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who, he says, who created all this? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. King David, he picks up on this very thing and says in Psalm 8, he says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. And then in verse 3 and 4, he says, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, God just said that in Isaiah, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? David is like, God, you are so majestic and magnificent. God, your glory is so far above anything and anyone else. And when I just look up at the night sky and see the vastness and the beauty that you've created, I I don't know if you've ever done that. Uh, I'll never forget being uh, in South America in the Andes Mountains, some 10,000 feet uh, in the mountains. And just at night, just looking up at the sky, being in awe of it being at awe of, the, of its vastness, being in awe of its seemingly just end, this endless sky that God created, the vastness of it, the beauty of it. It was amazing. All the work of God's hand. And David's like, David's here is like, I see all of that. And, and, and I'm in awe of you, the king and the creator of all things. And I, I'm in awe that that same God that, that I'm looking at the sky beholding, I, I'm in awe that that God knows me. I'm in awe of the fact that that king sees me. I'm in awe of the fact that that king cares about me in my life. I'm in awe of the fact that that king loves me. I'm in awe of the fact that that though he is king of all, he doesn't force his way on me, but rather he invites me to himself to receive of him, to follow him. The, The right 
response to such a king is to worship him, is to bow your heart and your life to him. That's really what it means to call Jesus Lord. At the end of his famous sermon on the Mount, Jesus concludes it by asking this question in Luke 6, 46. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? That's a pretty fair question, isn't it? But like, it would be really weird for somebody to say that Jesus is my Lord, that Jesus is my King, that He's in charge, that, that He is my authority, and then just do whatever you want. That, that would be a contradiction. So, so Jesus then says to us, listen, to follow me as Lord, essentially then, it means that two things are true of you. One, that, that, that you know what He says, right? You know what I say. And two, that you do what I say say. In order for us to do what the Lord says, we actually have to know what the Lord says, right? Which means essentially that we need to be listening for him. How do we know what the Lord is saying? Well, his word would be a pretty good place to start. Like 2 Timothy 3.16, it tells us that all of scripture has been breathed out by God. God has so much that he wants to share with us, so much that he wants to say to us that he gave us 66 books written over some 1,500 years just to tell us about. And one of the ways that we worship him and we honor him as Lord is by reading and knowing what he said, by allowing his word to speak to us because God's word doesn't just inform us. God's word transforms us and makes us like him. Hebrews 4.12, it tells us that the word of God is living and active, right? We, we don't just read God's word, it reads us. It, it brings about conviction and change. It ministers truth to our hearts and minds. It directs our steps and informs us in the way to go. Do you know his word? If Jesus is Lord, then you listen to him. It's his word that matters most, his word that you follow. It's his word that you submit to. Otherwise, you are Lord or someone else is. Listen, Jesus says that his sheep know his voice, right? To, to, to know someone's voice is the result of spending considerable amount of time with someone. That's how you can tell their voice, right? Remember, remember back in the day, um, for, for some of you won't remember this, but back in the day when like there was no caller ID uh, on phones, uh, for, for you young people, um, you kids watch right now, there was actually a day when someone would call you and you had no idea who it was, okay? So like there was no way, uh, there was no phone name that popped out, there was no number. You had to actually answer the phone. And, and the only way that you would know who you were talking to is either if they told you who it was or because you knew their voice. When my mom calls me even to this day, I can tell you, I don't need caller ID to know that it's my mom. I don't need her name popping up on the phone so that I know my mom just called me. I know because I know her voice. God wants us to know his voice, to know what he's saying, which means ultimately that we spend considerable time with him in prayer, in his word, listening to him. So really like one of the first questions for us in everything is, God, what is it that you're saying? What do you have to say, God? What is he saying about your life? What, what, what does God have to say about your time? What is he saying about your relationships? What is he saying about your resources? What is he saying about the sin in your life? 
about the distractions in your life, about the, the about your character. What is he saying about your health or your finances or whatever else before you just go and, and do and post on social media? Maybe like listen for what the Lord is saying. Ask him. He's Lord. What is he saying? That's the first thing. But secondly, it's not enough to just know what he says, right? We have to actually do it. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? He's talking about obedience. And Jesus' brother, James, he agrees with him. He tells us in James 1.22, he says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. See, the, the, the challenge for some people is that they don't actually know what God says. And so what they have is a truth problem. But, but for many other people, they, they do know what God has to say. They just don't do what he says. So they have an obedience problem. And James tells us that, that we're actually deceiving ourselves if we believe that we're following Jesus by merely listening to him and not obeying him. And so Jesus says, listen, like, why do you call me Lord? And then just do whatever you want, however you want to do it. See, the very confession of our faith, of our salvation, is that Jesus is Lord. Romans 10.9 tells us, listen, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That, like, like the lordship of Jesus is our confession that we make for those who are saved and belong to him. But, but listen, being saved and following Jesus is not about making Jesus Lord, okay? Jesus is Lord regardless. Following Jesus and being saved is about submitting yourself to his lordship. It's saying, Jesus, you are the king and I yield myself in obedience to you. That's worship. Worship is the right response to who God truly is, that he is truly Lord. It is a whole life bowed down and submitted to the king, listening to him, obeying him, and displaying, expressing, and declaring his worth with our life. The, the, the posture of a heart and a life of worship as disciples of Jesus, it really just looks like this. It, it, it looks like this. It looks like a heart and a life bowed down before God saying, Lord, from you, and through you and for you are all things. And to you, God, be the glory forever. That's worship. As we get ready to close with our final song, I want to just leave you with this passage from Psalm 95 because I, I, I think it really does help to sum up in a lot of ways the things that we've been talking about. And I think it's a great passage for you to take and to, to meditate on uh, this week and just in the weeks to come, just to let the stir in your heart and see how God administered it to you. And I, and I really, I think it's a great invitation to us as we worship the Lord with our song. And it says this, it says, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come to him with thanksgiving and let us sing psalms of praise to him. It says, for the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. He holds in his hands the depths of the earth and the mightiest mountains. The sea belongs to him for he made it and he, his hands formed the dry land. So listen, come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God and we 
are the people he watches over, the flock under his care. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for your word. God, thank you that your word reveals to us who it is that you truly are. Jesus, that you are Lord of Lord and King of Kings. God, I pray that, that Lord, you would give every one of us, God, eyes to see you for who you really are. And Lord, that the response of our heart, Lord, would be to bow and worship Lord, that you would be high and exalted in and through our lives, Lord Jesus. Lord, thank you that though you're king, Lord, that you come to us. Thank you, that, Lord, that though you are king, you invite us to yourself. God, I pray that the response of our heart would be the yes and amen, Lord, and, and that we would come. And we would come and bow to you, the Lord, our maker. And Lord, that our lives would be, uh, Lord, just a demonstration, an expression, God, of your infinite worth and glory. Holy Spirit, pray that you would minister in our hearts. God, lead us into this revelation, this deep knowledge and understanding of who you are. And God, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to have hearts just yielded fully to you and your Lordship. In Jesus' name, pray. Amen.